five, the thunder was rolling in good, and I did not want to move. <laughs> but I'm glad we're all here this morning. We're going to have a great time worshiping the Lord. Uh, as you saw in the announcement, uh, this is the last day to give on the giving wall. It doesn't mean you, you can't give to children's camp at any time, but it's the last day for the emphasis and that the board will be out there. If you have not been here uh, on previous weeks, or maybe as, as I did, I've given already, but I'm going to give more because uh, the nice thing is you got a 20 in your pocket or a 5 or uh, $18. You can just go over there to the 18 and put it in there or the $5 slot or whatever you got in your wallet. And uh, if you'd like to write a check, as they said, or give online, you're welcome to that as well. But just know that whatever we're giving, it helps our children go to camp this summer and get alone with the Lord. And uh, we have seen uh, our children give their lives to Christ at camp. So it is well worth any investment we make. Would you bow your heads and let's pray and let's get right into worshiping our Lord. Father, thank you for blessing our land with rain. And uh, we, are, we are so grateful for it. Father, we thank you for allowing us to gather in this dry and warm place. And uh, for church family, thank you for the relationships and the friendships that you allow us to have with each other. And thank you for the unity and the oneness uh, that we have together in Christ to come this morning and worship you. Father, we praise you for the many things going on in the church, the many classes going on and opportunities to serve you. Uh, we pray that you would use us for your glory and your honor. And uh, we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.
Thank you.
Father, as we begin this time of the message, we invite your spirit to give us understanding of your word. And we pray that your message is what would be spoken and uh, that we would hear very clear in our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. This week I've been, uh, in my personal reading time, uh, in the book of Exodus, I'm not having you turn there, but in Exodus 20 we have the Ten Commandments given to us. Um, and then right after the Ten Commandments are given, uh, Moses begins to go into detail about uh, what happens if the children of Israel don't obey those commands. Um, he gives very specific details of what is to happen um, as, as the book of Exodus moves on. Um, and I began to think about that. Uh, in fact, there's other places in Exodus, in and around this area, where God tells Moses, uh, the reason I'm showing up uh, on top of a mountain with fire and smoke and loud trumpet blasts and all these things is that I want the people to fear me so that they might obey my commands. Very much so in, in the Old Testament, uh, he was looking for and even desiring that they would have an awe uh, a fear and respect of who he was, of his power, of his authority, of his reality, that he most certainly could discipline and bring about uh, judgment on those who did not obey him. We might ask, is that a good thing? I would say yes, because God did it. <laughs> um, but I'm going to begin today, uh, only just as a beginning, to share with you Three reasons why we might obey. Uh, I believe all of them are right. The first is that we obey because of the fear of punishment. <laughs> the fear of getting in trouble. Okay, uh, That's true for children. It's true for adults. How many of you would like to go 80 miles an hour sometimes, but you don't want a ticket? All right. I know there's some of you who don't ever want to go 80 miles an hour, but there's others of us who get in a hurry occasionally and wish everyone was off the highway for us, you know. So, um, there are sometimes that we only obey simply because we don't want the punishment. Um, I don't feel there is any moral wrong to driving 80 miles an hour. I do, however, believe that breaking the law is breaking the law. I don't want to be a lawbreaker. But if there were no signs that said speed limit 55, I would have no problem and no guilt at all going 80 miles an hour. But I don't go 80 in a 55 because I don't want the punishment, right? I don't want the ticket. I don't want the fine. I don't want all that stuff. I don't want my insurance going up. So I've got all kinds of motivation for trying to stay closer to that speed limit where I don't get those tickets, right? That's just one example. We... We can all find areas that we obey, that we do, because we don't want to be punished. Uh, we pay our taxes because we don't want the IRS coming after us. I don't know many that pay their taxes with great joy and excitement. But we do it because we don't want anyone coming after us, all right? 
I think that obeying out of fear of the repercussions or punishment or discipline has its place. Certainly God gave us that. He gave us not only his laws, but he gave us what happens if we don't do it. And in reality, all over the world, there would be no civilization if God didn't put in place those governing authorities who bring about discipline and punishment when people do wrong. I think we appreciate that if you uh, commit murder, steal, and things like that, that we have law enforcement who come and will arrest you and lock you up so that you don't make society anarchy and lawlessness. And we've seen what has happened in our modern times, things I never thought would even happen in a civilized nation, but we have seen what happens when cities have said, we don't want police and we don't want law. Uh, they have become places of great anarchy. Lawlessness is ruling the day in those cities and people are fleeing the cities because crime has increased so much. Property is, is uh, being taken. Uh, stores in complete chains are moving out of some of the uh, large cities where they won't, they won't punish those who do wrong. When you stop doing that, you, you decrease the amount of good in the world. <laughs> so our first reason for doing good, that is the fear of discipline or the fear of punishment, is not a bad thing. It comes from God. But I would say there is another reason for doing good, obeying God. And that is that uh, there are plenty of verses in the Bible, starting back in the book of Exodus and Leviticus and all through our Old Testament, uh, that says that when we obey God, He blesses us. He will bless us. Those who are righteous, He blesses, all right? So that's a motivation. Uh, if we want blessings in life, then we certainly would go, well, uh, if God says if I obey Him, He blesses me, I'm going to begin to obey Him. Uh, that's no different than telling a child, if you clean your room, I'll take you for ice cream, all right? Now, there's two, reason, two ways you can get a child to clean their room. Clean your room or I'll spank you or clean your room and we'll get ice cream. One is a positive motivation and the other one is kind of a negative one, right? But in either case, you can get that room cleaned most of the time, right? Um, so sometimes I think there's a place for both. I think we try the positive, but if the positive doesn't work, then you have to go to the other or you may end up with mouse, mice and rats and everything in your children's room. Um, so... We've talked about two different motivations, but I want to talk about the highest motivation of all that we find in Scripture, and that is love. We should obey God's commands because we love Him, and we should obey God's commands because we love one another. The Bible says that that is truly what all of the commandments hang on. That is the fulfillment of all the commandments of God is when we love one another Therefore, we don't steal or rob or murder or uh, commit adultery against each other. We don't do those things because we put ourselves in the shoes of our neighbor, which is exactly what Jesus taught us. He said, uh, in the same way that you love yourself, love your neighbor. It's that golden rule. Uh, as you would have someone do to you, do that to them. Not do unto them as they have done unto you, but as you would have them do to you, 
do to them, right? So we're to put ourselves in their shoes. We're to think about what it must be like to be them and then turn around and say, well, would I want to be cheated? Would I want to be stolen from? Would I want to be lied to? No, I would not. So out of love now, I'm not going to steal, lie, cheat, murder, and so on. Love is the highest motivation. It's really what God wants us to do it all out of. He doesn't want us to only obey because we're afraid of what will happen to us. And he doesn't want us to only obey because we want blessings, blessings, blessings. Both of those are more of a self-centered motivation. He really wants us to do it out of self-sacrificial love for him and for one another. That's the highest motivation of all. Now, I'm going to move us into a very specific subject now, and that's why I have you in Malachi. If you open your Bibles to Malachi chapter 3 and verse 7, I want to show you just one instance. I've kind of hit a, a spread of different types of sins, but we're going to focus in on one area where we see both the blessing and the curse talked about. And I want to take us further into this subject because it's a very important subject. God says through the prophet Malachi, From the days of your fathers you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? Will a man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings. You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house, and test me now in this, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you a blessing until it overflows, then I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the fruits of the ground, nor will your vine in the field cast its grapes or drop them before they're ready, says the Lord of hosts. All the nations will call you blessed, for you shall be a delightful land, says the Lord of hosts. Now there are debates in our modern times, and if you look up the word tithe on the internet, uh, you'll find Christians and pastors and all kinds of people uh, debating whether or not tithing is a New Testament concept. You'll find many that say tithing is not mentioned in the New Testament. You'll say, they'll say Jesus doesn't teach us to tithe. And some of you in the room might be asking or watching from home, you might be asking, well, what does the word tithe mean? What is that? I'm getting a hint at it, but what does it really mean? Well, the Bible teaches us that tithing, that word is tenth. It means giving a tenth. And the biblical concept goes back into the law and Leviticus, Numbers, and so on, where uh, God told them that they were to give a tenth. In fact, let me just read that little portion out of the one in Leviticus. Leviticus 27.30 says, Thus all the tithe of the land, of the seed of the land, and the or of the fruit of the tree, is the Lord's. It is holy to the Lord. It is, it is His that tithe is. Every tenth part of the herd or flock, whatever passes under the rod, the tenth one shall be holy 
to the Lord. So from the days of the law, God is telling us all that the uh, 10% or a tenth of what we make, a tenth of what we have, is holy to the Lord. It is His. It's His property. And that's where, we, uh, that's where Malachi uh, comes in, where, where God is saying, but you have robbed me. You see, it's not robbery if it's not His and we're taking it from Him. But when it's His and we take it for ourselves, that's robbery. That's why He says to Israel, you have robbed me. The whole nation of you has robbed me. Because I told you that the first tenth is mine. It is mine. If you take it for yourself, then you are robbing me. And he asked the question, will a man really rob God? And they are saying, but how did we rob you? You robbed me in your tithes and offerings, is what he says. Now let's go back to this debate about whether tithing is a New Testament concept and all those things. It is true that uh, you don't find Jesus or Paul mentioning the word tithing. Jesus, the only time you see the conversation going on is when he is correcting the Pharisees and Sadducees uh, because they are uh, being hypercritical. And he says, you tithe your mint, your dill, your cumin. You are straining out a gnat when you let a, a camel come through. <laughs> he says, you're, you're so particular about these little bitty details but you allow great evil, pride, greed, all these types of things. They dwell and they are huge in your life. You're full of wanting the glory of men. You're hateful, ugly, murders in your heart, but you tithe the tenth of your deal. You're so meticulous about the law that you, because you want to have the appearance of perfect, perfect righteousness according to the law. That's where we see Jesus on this subject. In the New Testament, what we find is, is Paul says in uh, 2 Corinthians, and I'll read this to you. I know it's hard to get you to turn everywhere, but I think I am going to go ahead and turn to 2 Corinthians. And then we're going to come back to Malachi in just a minute, I promise, because I am not done there. But 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 9, verse 6, uh, I'm going to read this passage to you right quick. 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Verse 6 through 11, Paul says, Now this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must do just as he has purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Now remember the way I started the message off this morning talking to you about different motivations for why we obey God's word, why we obey his law. We may obey because we don't want punishment or discipline. We may obey because we want his blessing. Or we may obey simply out of joy and love for God. What Paul writes is that we should give generously, bountifully, but we should do so with a cheerful heart because God loves a cheerful giver. That is one who gives out of love joy in their heart, not under compulsion, not under guilt, not uh, out of fear so much. He says, and God is able to make all grace abound, he says, to you, so that always having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for every good work. 
That's another place that stands out to me. Why does God make all grace abound to you so that always having all sufficiency? Why does he want you to always have plenty? He says in, in everything, he wants you to have plenty so that you may have an abundance for every good deed. God wants to give you abundance so that you have plenty to do good deeds with. He wants to give you abundance so that you can give abundantly, right? That's what he's telling us there. If you've missed it, then keep going. Because he says, as it is written, he scattered abroad, he gave to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You see, he provides seed to who? The sower, the one who's going to give, the one who gives generously. That's who he provides the seed to. He doesn't provide seed so that we can hoard it, so that we can say, look at all the seed I have. He provides seed that we might give generously. If anything, we find in the New Testament, we find that God says be generous. That is even more than what he commanded in the law. And to do so out of love and generosity. He says, you will be enriched in every way for all liberality. God is going to bless you so you can be a blessing. But he tells us that we have to obey him in giving. Obey him in giving. Let's go back. Now that we've seen a little bit of what the New Testament says. By the way, Philippians talks about uh, giving. Uh, many of Paul's letters encourages the church to give and support the work of the gospel being spread. And in Philippians he says, And I know my God, he will supply all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. Now that promise sometimes is quoted by folks but you need to understand the context of that promise. That promise is being made to a people who gave generously to the work of Paul. He says, because you have given generously to support the work of me sharing the gospel with people on my missionary journeys, my God will supply all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. You see, what the New Testament is saying about giving and how it brings about uh, this windfall or this uh, abundant supply coming in, what it says, whether we give abundantly and therefore God gives abundantly to us that we might have uh, material for every good work or that we might be able to sow generously, when we see that, it's really not different than Malachi chapter 3. You know, the only thing you don't find is the word tithe, the word tenth. What's really replaced the word tenth is generously. I think, how do you know what generous is? Well, to me, it helps to start with what was expected. A tithe was the minimum. If you didn't give your tenth, a tenth of your income, you were robbing God. So you're not generous when you give to him what is his, you're obedient. You're generous when you give above and beyond the tithe. That's what scripture teaches us. In Malachi, he says, will a man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings. The word tithe means a tenth, but an offering is something we bring on our own. It's not required. It's not the 
part that is God's, it's what we give above and beyond. Now, it's no offense to me if you believe that Christians should tithe or you don't believe Christians should tithe. Doesn't bother me one bit. But I do want to share with you my personal testimony. Because one thing I know, whether God expects you to bring a tenth or, or you feel you have the freedom to not have to figure up a percentage, I know what God has done for me and for my family. My mom and dad taught me to tithe from the time I was a little bitty child going to First Baptist Church Corinth. And that was, that was well before I was the age of five years old. It was way back. I remember us leaving our little mobile home on my grandma's property because that was before we bought our farm. And I remember them giving me money to take and put in the offering. They taught me before I had a job to give to the Lord. Now, I practiced that as I got my first little jobs here and there. I would always give 10%. And it built and built until I went to work at the Piggly Wiggly. Started making $100, $150 a week. You know, back in them days when you made $3.60 an hour for working. And I would give my 10% of that. And what happened is as my income grew through my life, I always gave the 10%. It wasn't so hard because as my income grew, my tithing, my faith in that grew. Now, throughout my life, I have watched God provide for me. I've watched him do exactly what he says when he talks about throwing open the windows of heaven and pouring out for you a blessing. You see, I, I went to college at a private Christian university and our family didn't have the money to pay for that. But God paid for it. And I believe that he was faithful to give that abundantly to take care of my tuition in all kinds of variety of ways because I did what he wanted me to do. I, you, there's an old saying, you can't outgive God. And, and I've, I've got 52 years of experience that you can't outgive God. My wife and I have been given two cars in the last 20 years. We, when we were adopting our children 23 years ago, uh, there was quite a large amount of money needed to get on the books, and we were in a very small little church down the road, Rock Hill Baptist, that ended up merging with First Baptist. And at that time, the pay was really small. Three different churches came together unbeknownst to me and without me asking. They heard of Heather and I's need to raise about $7,500 to be able to get on the books to be able to adopt. We had already told God, when you provide the money, then we'll know you're ready for us. But we don't have it, and we're not borrowing it. We just trust if you want us to adopt, you're going to provide. Within the month, $7,500 had come in from three different churches right here in Aubrey. People just were stirred. There were two different churches that actually had little business meetings and voted to give toward us. And there was one individual from a third church who gave generously to us. Now, we kept on tithing. When we were in college, we, my wife and I were making minimum wage. 
I think by then it was maybe $5 an hour, and we were both working 20 hours a week, which is the maximum that the school would let you work when you worked for the university. We were eating ramen noodles a lot. <laughs> I've said this a lot. I tell it in premarital counseling when I talk about budgeting, but our budget for groceries was $15 a week. We had $5 for entertainment, and that was every Friday we went to Taco Bueno, ate the 29-cent menu, and then went to the dollar movie. And that was the only entertainment we had. But I want to tell you something. During those times, that was the first years of our marriage. From day one of our marriage, we always, Heather and I was always committed to tithe first. And then we gave above that to some ministries that God had put on our heart. Now, I know a lot of people could have said, well, you could have eaten better. You could have done this. You could have done that if you hadn't given that money to the church. We believed what God's word said. We believed that if we brought our whole tithe into his storehouse, he would take care of us. I want you to know something. Somehow, God made sure that all our bills were paid. We had our rent go down, not up. He blessed us. He provided it wasn't long before I got uh, hired, not just at the physical plant as a painter, but I got hired at a church to be a youth minister. Heather went from one job to a job that made more. God began to provide more. He provided and provided and provided. He provided for our living, for our food. He provided all those things. He provided for my tuition. We just kept giving to him what we were supposed to give to him. That was all I had to worry about. I didn't have to worry about where it was going to come from or how he was going to do it. All I knew was God said, give me the tenth. If you do what I say, I'll take care of the rest. Now, I've got decades of experience of God doing that. Providing cars, providing for our adoption. There was a year that we had medical debt built up that I just said, Lord, this thing is way too big for us. Would you help us? And he began to talk to me and Heather both about some areas that we need to get some things straight and right in our hearts and life financially. We repented. We got those things straightened out. The Lord opened the floodgates in a matter of a month or two. I don't even can't explain how and where that money came from, but we were able to pay off all those medical bills. And I was able to take my family on a vacation that cost almost nothing. A ministry offered four days up in the mountains at a cabin for pastors and their family. We spent those four days in there. There was a family camp going on there at Horn Creek. And somebody in that family camp said, we want that family who's not a part of our camp, that pastor and his kids and his wife, we want to give them Two more nights for free. They paid for it. That included all our meals, our housing, everything. Now I could go on and on and on talking to you about the number of blessings that has come into our life. There was one year on our 15th anniversary that Rock Hill Baptist Church gave my family a cruise. That hadn't happened since. <laughs> now, all I'm saying by that is, please don't hear me wrong. It hasn't, and it shouldn't, okay? I'm not saying it for the other reason. 
What I'm saying is, that is not the norm. What I'm saying is, that is God's generosity. He does things at certain times in certain ways. He's just generous toward you. He has been very generous toward my family. Now, if you check out our finances, you will know really quick we are not rich. So I'm not talking about give and God will make you wealthy. But I am saying that he gives abundantly, that he blesses, he provides, he goes beyond. He has taken care of us in so many ways. I have been to many nations in the last uh, 28 years. I have been in nations I never thought I would see all over the world sharing the gospel. And you know that God has paid for every single one of those trips. Heather and I went to Africa. I've been to Nepal. I've been to India. I've been to Nicaragua. Israel twice. Iraq. I've been to Germany. Russia. All these nations. And God has paid for all of it. I don't make enough to pay for those kinds of trips. But the Lord has provided now, if you don't believe my own testimony of how God has provided and let us get into our first home. 20 years ago, we bought a house and we happened to buy at a time. And thanks to Galen King, our realtor, we were able to get into a house with no money down. You can't do that anymore. Everywhere I look, I've got so many stories and so much testimony of how God has taken care of me and my wife and my children. How he has provided abundantly. There was a time in, 2000, in 2001, right after we adopted our children, that there was money being stolen from our church, and the, it, it appeared that there was no money. And I took a $100 a week pay cut on my own. I, I gave it up because we didn't have it. This was, this was a long time ago. We adopted twins about uh, a month or two before I had to give up $100 a week. And our kids were both premature twins. And they had to be on special formula. Plus there was two babies that needed diapers and all these extra expenses. We had a huge amount of extra expenses come on us at the same time that our church seemed to be hurting desperately and we were unaware that a, a treasurer was taking money. I gave up the $100. I had just closed my painting business because I had been painting houses and things for a few years, had a business that was making decent money. I closed it because the Lord told me to close it. We adopt two children and then I give up $100 from what the church is paying me. Now you, you, you tell me, do you think the future looks bright? <laughs> We kept tithing. We never missed. You know, I, I promised before God as my witness, we never were late on a single bill that year. We never missed a single payment on anything that year. And I cannot tell you how. Because we lived that way for about nine months. Not only that, but that was the first year I went on an international mission trip. And God provided for me to go to Germany and Russia for two solid weeks. God provided all that for that trip. He provided for the formula. He provided for the diapers. He provided for all the extras. And I was making less money. 
It don't work on paper. I, but I promise you, we never missed paying anything. It's just odd. Work I had bid out that I had to finish up some jobs just came through. I didn't even take any more work because God told me to stop my painting business. But I had jobs I had to finish that lasted into the summer. You know, at the end of that year, we found out what was going on, voted to remove the person who had stolen the money. And I, I stood up before the church, Rock Hill Baptist Church, and I said, guys, we, uh, the man who should have been handling everything wasn't. We, we are in the red over $2,000 at the bank. The building insurance hadn't been paid for almost a year. None of my retirement had been paid in for over a year. Uh, we, we, are, we are in all kinds of need here. I said, uh, would you all want to vote to take out a loan from the bank to kind of get ourselves level and then we'll just pay it back? And I don't remember who it was in that business meeting, but someone said, uh, preacher, because that's what they called me. You know, when you're out in the country a little more, you just go, preacher. It might have been Rusty Bland, but somebody said, preacher, can we, can we just pass the plate first before we take a loan? And the place was packed because of the business we had to handle. We are moving a man who was stealing from our church. And we passed that plate. Do you know that more than what was needed was taken up in those plates? The church was completely caught up, plus some. Then they voted in that meeting to pay me back. Nine months of missing $100 a week. Do you know they did that before January 1, and this was all taking place in October? We never took a loan. Nothing. I have seen God. He is faithful when you tithe. You can call me Old Testament, but I'm telling you, when he says he'll throw open the windows of heaven, he does. Now, before I run out of time, I'm going to move on to this church. Because God spoke to me early on in my pastorate that we should be tithing as a church. Everything that comes in, we're to give 10% away to missions, benevolence, and things like that. We've been doing that for a very, very long time. And let me just very quickly tell you, this church was given... Money on multiple occasions, large gifts, 120,000 one year. We have had $60,000 gifts come in. We've had seven acres of property just given to us, and the other five with a home on it, we bought for a really low price. We have watched God provide and provide and provide. That was at Rock Hill, and then the Lord brought First Baptist and Rock Hill together. So we were so needing a building down there. But we kept giving. And in fact, one year, the Lord asked us if we would give everything away, and we did. We gave our entire building fund away, which was $35,000. It was a lot of money for us. But we gave generously because he said give, and we just trusted him. 
though we needed a building and parking and land really, really bad. It was just about four years later that this merge happened. And we went from sitting on 1.36 acres to moving to four acres. We went from a gravel parking lot to a paved parking lot. And between the time we had saved up another $80,000 trying to build a building on our 12 acres that we owned. Church, when, when God allowed Rock Hill and First Baptist to merge, uh, from Rock Hill's standpoint, God blessed us with newer, nicer buildings, more property, and he blessed us with a, a lot of good people from First Baptist that we all became one together. And I, can I just encourage you? Test God. That's what he says in the scripture there in Malachi. He says, test me in this and see if I will not open the windows of heaven and pour out for you a blessing until it overflows. I, I've shared with you my testimony because I believe a testimony is maybe the most powerful thing that you can share. I can testify and I, and I have only hit the high spots. I could give you so much more detail. I just don't have time. It's, I gotta let you go. But what God says in Malachi is very true. And like I have seen God's blessing on my wife and I from the time that we made almost nothing, I've seen him get us through very lean times, lean times as a church, lean times for me. I've watched him always provide and always take care of everything. You can trust him. You can trust him with your finances. In fact, he'll better manage it than you ever will. <laughs> but you've got to remember that you're not giving to get because that's one of those other motivations. But when you do that, it's, it's more about you. And what's, what can be dangerous about that is when you give so that God will get, uh, when you give so he'll give to you and, and you'll have lots, then when he does give to you, you want to keep it. <laughs> Because in your eyes, it's an investment. It's like playing the uh, stock market or something. If you'll invest on this stock, you'll get a whole lot back. But God wants us to remember that when he gives us a whole lot back, he gave it to us to be sowers. He gave it to us so that we might be about his work of blessing and taking care of people and, and being generous with what he gives us. And every time we give it, we're trusting him. He's the giver. He's the giver of seed to the sower. That should be all of our heart. That we should be givers. When we see people around town, people in need. If you're at a restaurant and you're having dinner, to tip generously. That's being a giver. It's, it's, it, it makes you happy and joyful to give generously. And when you do, God gives to you. Because he loves us to spread his love and his joy to others. I just want to encourage you. You can tithe because you're fearful of the curse that says will come. And by the way, I could tell you stories of that. That's very real too. When you rob God, there is a curse and it does come after you. And that devourer that it says he will rebuke on your behalf um, doesn't get rebuked. <laughs> I have known Plenty of folks who would not tithe 
And uh, as I've taught my children, you can either give it to him out of joy in your heart or uh, you won't have it. I can tell you that. You don't get ahead not tithing. You don't. Uh, when you don't tithe, your car breaks down more. <laughs> it's just, it just happens. Weird stuff happens. It's always something. Does anybody know what it's like to live in... You don't have to raise your hand. Does anybody know what it's like to just feel like every time you're about to get ahead, something else comes and takes it away? That's called the devourer. <laughs> you want God to rebuke the devourer and keep that devourer from you so that when he gives, it doesn't. You want to be able to prosper, not because it's all about you being wealthy or rich, but you want to prosper. Why? Because God wants to prosper you. He wants to prosper. He wants to bless you. He wants to increase you. The prayer of Jabez is all about increase. The Bible talks about this. God is not, incre uh, not against increasing you. He's against you loving the increase. He doesn't, it's the love of money that's the root of all kinds of evil. But if you don't love it, then you'll give generously to God because you love God more than it. You'll give it away to who he says give it to. You'll be generous with it. You'll bring his tithe and more than his tithe. And then you can watch God do what only God can do. Rebuking the devourer and opening heaven for you. I have decades of experience. This is exactly what he does. I can testify. I have believed Malachi 3 and practiced it since I was a kid. And I know it to be true. I've led this church to do this, and we have seen it as a church. It's true. God has rebuked the devourer, and he has opened the floodgates of heaven for us, and he continues to do so. Golly. I got to tell you a few more stories, all right? <laughs> Some of you don't come to business meeting, and you don't get all these details, but I need you to know something. Last January, a year ago, we had a water leak under our pavement out here. We were gonna have to cut open that pavement, replace an entire water line, all kinds of stuff. Do you know that we had people donate their time? Bubba Bland cut our cement. Bubba Welch, we have Bubba's in our church. Bubba Welch <laughs> got the line, expensive line donated to us. We were able to do all that. Then Bubba Bland came back and put in the cement. He donated all of that. The only thing we paid was a plumber to hook it all up because you have to have a plumber. You know, when we remodeled these two bathrooms over here, I shared this not too long ago. Guys, we were going to pay for that. But the floor guy... David Britt at Southern Floors here in Krugerville donated all the tile, donated all the labor. The countertop guy, Lance Eirich, donated the countertops and the sinks. Paul Conway donated the cabinets for both bathrooms. We had people in our church giving of their time. We remodeled two bathrooms that looked spectacular, if I do say so myself, for under $9,000. That's almost the cost of those stalls alone. <laughs> mm -hmm. 
You see, guys, everything we do, we, we put a new sign in down here. All we did was pay for the sign and, and the wire. We did the work ourselves. Uh, Mike Edwards and I got out. We, we trenched the whole line, but God provided. He just does that. This church has a hard time paying full price for things because the Lord steps in <laughs> and he donates things. He does that. He really does. This is not made up. And I, I, could, I could tell you more. I could tell you more about parking lots. I could tell you about all the cement work done over here. I mean, we've just got, there have been so many generous people. Huge amounts of remodeling in this end of the church where tens of thousands of dollars of the labor was donated. All the light switches that control this stuff electronically where they can touch buttons was donated by another member of our church. We've just... Alex Weaver, we, we just had so much where people are just generous. And I think the reason is because we obey God as a church. We give away. We start at 10%, but we give far more than that. 10% automatically of anything that comes in this church goes into missions. Then there's another 3% that goes to the Denton Baptist Association, which helps plant churches and do all kinds of other ministries. And then there's all the other generous things you guys do through Operation Christmas Child, giving to the Lottie Moon Christmas offering, to Annie Armstrong, to water, pure water, pure love. You give and give and give. And you might think, man, that church asks for all the time. But I want you to give from your hearts. I want you to experience the joy of giving and being generous to God and generous to His Word where He prompts you. Because I promise you, you'll never, ever be out out, out give God. You will never be able to. I hope that if you haven't been a practicer of giving and of tithing, that maybe God will help you take that step. And if you say, well, my budget won't work for me to give away 10%, start where you can and ask God to help you grow in your generosity. Would you stand with me this morning?